0: Welcome to It's In My Queue, the podcast where we talk about TV pilots. I'm Kara And I'm Adina. And today we're talking about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Oh. Oh, did you want to do your... Yeah, do do the music. (laughs) I should actually
1: make a thing, a jingle for this at some point. I feel like it sounds very silly if I just do it
0: every time, but I don't... I think it's funny, though. I don't have time this month. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Clearing out our queue. On this special edition of Clearing Out Our Queue, this is like slightly different, I feel, than our other ones because it's to do with a book. But I'm here to say, if you listened to our Bridgerton episode, you will know that we had a- strong opinions about Anthony Bridgerton specifically and how we did not like him. Adina has not seen the, the whole of season one. Wow. She's seen a couple of episodes. Um I've seen the whole of season one. And by the end of it, I was like, I tolerate Anthony at best, just because I liked the other siblings better. And frankly, I think I would have, you know, liked him less had he not been played by Jonathan Bailey, because I enjoy Jonathan Bailey as an actor. All this to say that I finished reading The Viscount Who Loved Me, which is Anthony's book in the Bridgerton series. And I actually really like him now. And I texted this to Adina and she was not happy. <laughs> I just I have a hard time imagining
1: it. But from my perspective, this was what rocked my world as I haven't watched or read any more of Bridgerton, but Kara also started watching Crashing, as the very brief show that Phoebe Wallerbridge made before Fleabag before killing Eve. Or might have been after season one of Fleabag but before season two. I don't I don't know and jonathan bailey is in that and he plays a character named sam who i loved so much but i didn't make the connection because he looks very different in that show but then Kara pointed it out to me and that rocked my world because i loved sam so much and he's so different than anthony uh anyway (laughs) um what else have we been watching lately both Kara and i have been watching a lot of hbo max shows because she recently gained access to it and allowed me access to it as well. (laughs) We both watched Starstruck. Kara watched that first and then recommended it to me. We both watched Mayor of East Town because everyone
0: was talking about that. I thought it was just okay. I wasn't super into it. I enjoyed myself. Um, I think by the end, I think that I was, I was bored at first, but then as it like kind of picked up and then I was a little more into it. Yeah, um, I like I didn't hate it. I was just like, yeah. I can see how this is
1: exciting and full of twists to somebody else. I'm just, I don't know. I didn't super connect with it.
0: Yeah. Um. um we
1: also both watched, ha- watched Hacks. Yes, we both watched Hacks. I caught
0: it as like part of season one was out. So I followed the last few episodes, enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. My Starstruck update though, is I think that everyone should watch Starstruck um, and also Nikesh Patel for every rom-com. Oh, yeah. He a was a very good you. rom-com lead. Yeah. yeah. So my other recommendation, if you liked Nikesh Patel in Starstruck, is to watch the Four Weddings and a Funeral limited series that's on Hulu, which is by Mindy Kaling. So yeah, I think that that is my other rec two people
1: um I also watched all of Curb Your Enthusiasm in like a few weeks which was probably (laughs) ill-advised but and I watched uh season one of I Hate Susie which someone else recommended to me and that was enjoyable I I you know you have HBO Max I've been very into the the short the shows that only have one season out at the moment because it's like so satisfying Mm -hmm. you can just tear through them and then I'm like yeah oh I have three seasons left of Scandal
0: that I have to
1: Go I'm back about
0: to, at some to point. I just finished watching Watchmen and I'm about to watch The Great which also only has one season. You so, you know, I'll, I watched watch the first episode
1: of that and I was not super I was just not really paying attention to it. I just didn't really You do
0: know. that is when you have to pay attention. <laughs> it's on my list for school. I have like a required yeah. movies and TV oh. list for school I'm like for jealous. those of you that don't know we're both going to grad school. Oh yeah. Should fall. we like,
1: should we like legit
0: announce this? Yes. I don't think we've mentioned this.
1: Okay. <laughs> no. So when we started this podcast, we had no qualifications other than we both no. really like to watch TV, but now we have a semblance of a qualification for you to, <laughs> to listen to what we're saying, which is we both are going to different graduate school programs for film and TV writing.
0: Yes. So we're going to get, we're going to go get some MFAs. Yeah. Um, Cause that's the wisest decision in today's world. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, so they sent us a very long list of movies and TV to watch. Uh, Last night I watched Sunset Boulevard. I frankly didn't know what Sunset Boulevard was about. So I was actually like, like a little thrown once learning what it actually was about, but it was fun. The Great is also one of the things on my movie and TV list. And I had already watched one episode because it autoplayed after I finished something else. And I was like, well, might as well. I remember just being curious
1: about it because it got nominated for a bunch of writing awards at last year's Emmys and I had heard nothing else about it. But I was like, mm-hmm. is this show like really good? It got like two or three nominations for writing. Anyway, let's let's go let's go to today's episode, which is yes. doo-doo-doo-doo Brooklyn nine nine. I feel like the story of this show is like At first it was so like, nobody's talking about this. It's such an underrated good sitcom. And then suddenly everybody was talking about it. And it was arguably one of the more dominant sitcoms of like the past two to three years. I I feel like that's been airing Mm -hmm. and it now is about to have its final season. As of the time this episode releases, the final season premiere will be next week, I believe, August 12th. So we just figured, you know, to coincide with that final season beginning would be a good time to talk about it so brooklyn 99 it doesn't have a particularly exciting origin story because the two creators uh dan gore and mike sure are the two co-creators of the show they were both already you know pretty established television writers at the time of creating this show dan gore had been a writer on the daily show and conan parks and rec more shows like that Mike Schur had been a writer and producer on The Office. He also played Cousin Moes on The Office, so that's yes. how you may know him. He also was a, a co-creator and writer on Parks and Rec, The Good Place, and also, you know, recently since Brooklyn Nine Nine, he's also been a co-creator with Sarah Ornelas on uh, Rutherford Falls, which is on Peacock which is I'm very annoyed at Peacock because now they're making a few shows that I actually want to see and I don't want to pay for another streaming yeah, service. oh my gosh.
0: Streaming services, what are you doing you, to we'll, us?
1: We'll do a month of Peacock when we, when we move and then we can watch all yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah, so basically, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, Dan Gore and Mike Schur, they knew each other because they went to college together at a little school called Harvard. Maybe you've <laughs> heard of it. So they knew each other from undergrad. And then they were like, um, let's make a show together, because Mike Schur already had a producing deal at Universal. He had already made you know, multiple successful sitcoms at this point, so they were like, make another show for us. And he talked to Dan Gore, and they said, let's make a comedy set in a police station, because no one's really done a comedy, a sitcom, with the police. Obviously, there's tons of police procedurals, but... No one had really done a sitcom set in a police setting um, since a show called Barney Miller in the 70s, which I had never heard of before. Yeah, I looked it up, but apparently it was a sitcom in a police station <laughs> back in the <laughs> 70s. So basically they, they came up with a pitch, uh, pitched it to Universal and Universal was like, yes, we'll make the show, but NBC, which was uh, Universal's main channel, main network that they own, said, we actually don't want to air it on NBC but Universal Studios was going to produce it. So they then made a deal with Fox that Fox was going to air it. But then this was, if you've been following Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you probably remember a few years back, it got canceled by Fox. It was after season five, I think. Fox Um, has such a habit of canceling things. Yeah, Fox has, has bad taste sometimes. But then a lot of people spoke up. There was a big fan campaign that people wanted the show to keep going. There was a lot of interest in it. So they started shopping it around to various channels and it basically... It ended up at NBC because it was already being produced by Universal. So they were like, oh, actually, now that the show is already successful, now we want to air it. <laughs> so then, okay, then it started and it uh, the last two seasons, six and seven, have aired on NBC and also season eight, the final season, is going to air on NBC this fall. So that's kind of, that's the story of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. The other thing, which perhaps we can talk about this more at the end, but season eight, was delayed by COVID, as many shows were this year, but also in light of the events that occurred in the United States in 2020, re-police violence, specifically um, the death of George Floyd, they were like, maybe we're gonna, since we have this delay, maybe we're gonna rewrite some of what we have on this show about the police, and so apparently they are they have rewritten, like, they completely scrapped and rewrote several episodes of their season to address this, which I'm intrigued by because I don't know if there's necessarily a good way to, to address it on a comedy
0: show, but... I would like to do my little uh, thing about propaganda now so then I can spend more time talking okay. about what I like about this show. Okay, we can do it okay. now. Yeah. So here's the thing. propaganda. Uh, is like basically like anything where you know the te- there's police on TV and sh- in some some respects she may be showing them in a positive light. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is, propaganda is not a good thing because especially I feel like particularly in this example of propaganda where it's you know cops that are a little goofy and funny mm-hmm.
1: and, and diverse. I feel like,
0: yeah, and I feel like because it's a diverse cast. Frankly, people are like, oh, oh, well, this is showing that they're good cops in a good light. But we have to remember the institution of the police um, and what it was founded on. And it's not necessarily there's really not much that can be reformed out of something that was started from slave patrols. I feel like this gets really murky, specifically in the instance of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Because, like, I feel like with some cop shows, there's, you know, that whole thing of like, sometimes it's like the purposeful that they're like a little corrupt and, you know, doing Mm -hmm. bad things, but these people are always shown as like on the side of good, and that sort of thing. So I think it's just a matter of uh, thinking critically. About what you're viewing and consuming, if you do choose to watch this show, I do enjoy Brooklyn Nine-Nine a lot. I think the characters are really funny, and it's also every so often I've had this conversation with some of my friends where every so often we're like, "Man, what if they just decided to all not be cops anymore?" You yeah. know? honestly, you know? I think that would because like, like a great way I feel like you could not do the final season. It's just like
1: they all yeah. quit the force and they start like a community mutual aid group or something. It becomes yeah, Parks and Rec. It... <laughs>
0: it's one of those things where this very much feels like these are characters that didn't even need to be cops you know yeah I feel like so the the choice to put them there is always something that is kind of in the back of my mind and then I think the last thing that I will say is I have like watched most of Brooklyn Nine-Nine I feel like I kind of like had a pause in between partially to do with 2020 in general and also Terry Crews just being oh himself some comments. <laughs> he yeah, he has comments often, but I feel like still I do find the show enjoyable and I like it, but I just want everyone to think critically about yeah. this. Yeah, uh, I
1: definitely agree and I think in a lot of ways even though Brooklyn 99 it seems like the writers have good intentions and I'm doing air quotes around that, you can't see yes. me doing it. It seems like the writers have good intentions, but um, I think in a lot of ways, this is even more insidious than some other forms of propaganda because as exactly. you said, some other forms, they're like, ooh, the cops are like the gritty heroes and like kind of idolizing them. But on this show, it actually is Brooklyn Nine-Nine has made efforts to point out some flaws in the police system in some of its episodes They have made some efforts to show, you know, discrimination against gay people, uh, racial discrimination, like corrupt police officers, they've shown them in some episodes, but it is few and far between, and it is kind of solved within the plot of the episode or implied to be solved. And also, again, all of the main characters are shown to be these really good people with their hearts in the right place. And so whenever there's someone who's doing wrong, it's like a one-off bad cop. And it's like, oh, no, they get theirs at the end of the episode, and then it's done. So it promotes this idea that the police system can be reformed, that it's just a few bad apples that are doing bad things. And that, honestly, is more harmful I think because especially because you get like white liberal people watch this and they go oh yeah all we need to do is make the police force a little more diverse get some good people in there and then it's solved yeah. and it's, so mm-hmm. it so gives you this sense of complacency of like we're already on the right track to fixing this look it's on tv we're laughing yeah. about it we but most certainly just, are not <laughs> no no that is absolutely not the way and it can't be solved by just a couple of good little episodes it can't be solved by a couple little oh we learned our lesson and it definitely can't be solved by a sitcom no that makes people laugh about the police the thing that really summed it up the most for me that i was like this show needs to go like it had its time but it's got to go in 2020 was on fucking like i mean nothing good ever comes out of social media but on fucking social media some fucking stupid white people posting things like when people were posting like ACAB and then some people some people would be like ACAB except for Jake Peralta or stuff like that and i'm like okay first of all do you all, know how
0: glad i am i didn't see any of that do you know how jake glad Peralta
1: doesn't need you to defend him he's fictional he's not real he's
0: fictional
1: <laughs> oh and if God. your response to the police are murdering people in real life is but my fictional police boy is just such a special nice boy and he's good. I I don't know what to say to you.
0: <laughs> oh my god.
1: So, I guess yeah, it, it's good that we talked about that. Copaganda. It's a problem. ACAB.
0: Yeah, and also I just I feel like I'm so st- always so struck by how many cop shows there on t- are on TV. There are truly
1: so many. Like I hadn't thought about it that hard before 2020 I'm gonna be honest but once you start to think about it it is so completely pervasive in American culture how the police are in everything and always portrayed as the good guys with with limited exceptions you know sometimes you'll get a little corrupt police storyline but again they are always like defeated in the end you know but like this just omnipresence of police and military are the the force of good
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I watched most of Bones, uh, which is about, partially about an FBI agent. Like, kind of forgot about that. We'll talk about Bones another day, maybe.
1: So anyway, now that we've said all that (laughs) and hopefully encourage, and again, like, to any white people that are listening and feeling extremely defensive right now of these fictional characters that we've just (laughs) called propaganda, it's okay. You can still think the show is funny while you think critically about it. You know, yeah. we're not saying you must stop watching this show immediately or else you're a bad person, but just think critically about it and encourage other people to also think critically about it. Yeah. That being said, let's talk about, yeah, there, honestly, I don't have anything else much to say about the background of it. Um, so we can talk about the pilot of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So we open on the face of Andy Samberg, and I will say, when I first saw this, I was like, oh, thank God he cut his hair a little bit, because I had only really seen him at the SNL (laughs) digital shorts. Oh my God. Good, good. he trimmed his hair. But he's doing this super serious police monologue. It's like this voiceover, and he's all moody, and he goes, this job's eating me alive. I can't breathe anymore. I spent all these years trying to be the good guy, the man in the white hat. I'm not becoming like them. I am them (laughs) and then and then we zoom out to reveal his partner Amy Santiago and she's like are you doing a speech from Donnie Brasco and then Jake's like shush it's the best speech and so he's just a regular cop on a regular day he's not in the middle of anything very dramatic but he's doing a dramatic monologue in his head because he really loves being a cop and thinks that it's he's this big dramatic hero guy. Yeah. Um, which would be a good lens for satire if this was that kind of show, but it's not. It's it's propaganda. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's totally (laughs) straight played propaganda. Um so basically, it's Jake Peralta and and Amy Santiago. They're both uh, police officers, and they're currently investigating a robbery at an electronics store. And Amy's taking it very seriously, like, you know, asking questions to the owner. But Jake is just messing around, like, playing with the cameras. And, like, you know, so th- so his face is going on all the the TV's in the store so amy seems clearly kind of annoyed with him but then like even as jake's messing around he kind of reveals he's like oh i know the suspect it's like two white males with one of them has sleeve tattoos and something something and she's like how do you know that And he goes i got here 10 minutes before you and i found that there was a camera in this camera store that caught them on camera um, which is a smart way of solving a robbery in that store yeah And then he shows that he found a little nanny cam and a teddy bear and he starts, you know, doing a goofy little voice for the bear and annoying Amy. And then that's, that's our teaser. So I feel like that does a very nice job of establishing the tone of the show and also Mm -hmm. kind of the difference between Jake and Amy that he is, he's very goofy. He seems like he doesn't take things seriously, but he is actually good at his job underneath it. Mm -hmm. And Amy is more of kind of a straight laced, wants to get work done kind of officer.
0: This is, it's funnily enough in one of the little, they've been doing these little um, like meet the professor events at my, with my, for my grad program. And the one that I did last week um, was like a comedy sort of thing. And the professor actually brought up Brooklyn 99 as an example of the use of something called game, which is, I guess, the best way to explain it. I feel like it's like an improv thing uh, would be like the, the thing that makes one character like sets him him or her or them apart from everyone else in a way and so uh, the professor was kind of mentioning that like Jake Peralta's game is that he's like this really kind of Goofy dude, and you kind of don't really expect anything from him, but then he's actually a really good detective, as it turns mm-hmm. out. And later, I guess, as we meet the other characters, we can talk about their game because I feel like they also yeah. have some. As I, think I was watching, that's through one this. of the strengths of this
1: pilot, among other things. Every character has a really clear game, or has a really clear this is what sets them apart from the other characters, and they establish it very clearly and very quickly. Yeah, so yeah, so then. We go into act one, we are introduced via caption to the 99th precinct of the Brooklyn police. Although, okay, here's, here's one other fun fact. The exterior shots that they use for the 99. there is no actual 99th precinct of the Brooklyn police. It's probably smart that they came up with a number that doesn't truly exist. Yeah. Um, but the building that they use is the actual 78th precinct. That's the, the building that they use for the exterior shots. So we were back at their station. They're having like a morning meeting. We introduced there's this rivalry between jake and amy they basically have this bet going on about who can get more who can solve more cases by the end of the year or something by some deadline and jake you know with this one he pulls ahead by two points or something and then they're talking about this new murder that happened this guy named henry morgenthau and, like, as they're talking about this murder, they're, like, joking around. They're, like, ooh, I interviewed someone who had, like, gunk on her chin. Was it flan or just, like, old lady goop? Like, the whole group, the whole office is, like, joking around and not taking it seriously. So that's how you get the vibe of, like, it's going to be a lighthearted workplace sitcom, even though it is taking place in a police station. And then their um, sergeant, Terry Jeffords, played by Terry Cruz, he kind of gets them back on track. He's sort of their supervisor, and he's like, you know, we have a new captain coming today. A captain ranks even higher than sergeant, and he's gonna come later today, so, like, we should try and act professional. They have problems with that there. Yeah, they, they are not always very professional. So then we get Charles, one of the other characters, Charles Boyle, goes to ask Gina uh, Linetti for advice. Um, Charles is played by Joe Lotrulio and gina is played by chelsea peretti um and gina is she's not a cop she's like their like administrator like their front desk person kind of basically and the joke is like she does not do her job ever at all she just kind of (laughs) sassily comments on everything some people find her character annoying i think she's
0: incredibly funny i love gina oh my god i saw so many comments
1: online after she left the show she she leaves in season six because she had a baby and was like I'm going to not be acting on this show full time anymore, which good for her. But so many people were like, I'm so glad she's gone. She was so unfunny. I'm like, what? I agree. Oh there, there were some times when her joke, like it got a little bit one note, but overall, I found her very funny. Yeah. So yeah, she's one of the highlights of it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so, so Charles comes over and asks Gina for advice because he likes Rosa. Rosa Diaz is one of the other officers and she's played by Stephanie Beatriz and Charles clearly has a crush on her but like you can tell just by looking at them like this is a hopeless crush it's not gonna work out but he asked Gina for advice and she's like you know she what's her type and and Gina's like her type is anyone but you so basically like you should give up man but but then Charles is like oh maybe y'all like she likes old movies so like maybe I'll. Find a ticket to old movies and then ask her out.
0: I like how his first inclination, though, when he came up to Gina, was he asked her if she knew any scalpers because he wanted to get tickets to Rihanna. Oh yeah, and I was like, Rihanna, you're gonna take a a first date Rihanna concert. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, that would be a good way to get someone to say
1: yes to going on the date, but then they would just be going for Rihanna and not for you. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, if someone offered me a ticket to Rihanna that I didn't have to pay for, I would take it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So then we're back to Amy and Jake and they're basically talking about, oh, what's the new captain going to be like? Jake's like, man, I really liked our old captain because like he was basically like an old guy that just didn't care or listen to anything and would let them get away with anything. And then there's a little cutaway gag to them playing fire extinguisher roller chair derby and the old captain (laughs) didn't care at all. And so this is also the first moment that establishes this show uses cutaway gags. So oftentimes it'll, I feel like most often they're just a little cutaway to like the characters doing something silly in the police station at an earlier date Yeah, (laughs) Um, is usually how they work, but that is kind of a a staple of the structure of this show. But then Amy's like, I hope the captain is serious because I need a mentor who's going to help me rise through the ranks because I want to become a captain someday. And then Jake's like, oh yeah, like you want a rule following captain, like a robot, bleep, blorp, bleep, blorp. And he starts doing this silly little thing. And then as you may predict the new captain, it turns out is standing behind him as he does this impression. (laughs) And so we uh, get to meet the new captain. His name is Raymond Holt. He's played by Andre Brower. And he's incredibly serious. You can tell just by looking at him how his face is very, you know, emotionless and serious. And his tone is he has this notorious, perfect, like monotone way of speaking. It's it's just it's amazing. And he's like, oh, hello. Was that me? Was that an impression of me? I would like to hear that again. Um, And Jake's like, oh, you're the new captain. No, sorry. I was just, you know, he's like trying to play it off. But then Holt is like, no, do, do the robot voice again. I would like to hear it again. And so, and then Jake has to do it again. And Holt's like, that is a terrible robot voice. It's just a very uncomfortable moment. And Holt's very much like immediately on to business. And he's like, the next time I see you, I want you to be wearing a tie and, you know, act professionally, but Jake does not seem to like that suggestion. Um, And then Holt, you know, introduces himself to the
0: whole, he like gets the attention of the room and he says something very short. I didn't write it down. I wrote it down. Everyone, I'm your new commanding officer, Captain Ray Holt. And then Amy goes, speech. And then he goes, that was my speech. And she's like, yes, short and sweet. <laughs> yes.
1: So we also start to get the sense here that Amy is very much a people pleaser, or she's very much like a an authority pleaser. Mm-hmm. Um, she, The Ray Holt, the captain's not going to be able to say anything wrong in her eyes, and she just wants his approval so badly. Then Holt walks into his office, and Gina just goes, did anyone get a little bit of a gay vibe? <laughs> and it seems like a real non sequitur, but that is that is Gina So then we get in Holt's office uh, he's meeting with Terry because Terry's kind of the the highest up and he's like tell me about this place tell me about the the detectives on the squad I would like to get to know them and then this is a, a really good structure moment that I noticed because uh mm-hmm. it's a moment to introduce every one of the characters to the audience and basically teach us their
0: little game yeah so, and it um it starts yeah. with Terry's first yeah he introduces um, before himself before the rest of the squad yeah because
1: yeah. it turns out they did Holt and Terry did previously work together several years ago And he was like, oh, they used to call you something. And Terry goes, yeah, they called me Terry titties. I was heavier (laughs) then. But then he also explains like he a year ago, he had little baby girls. Their names are Cagney Cagney and Lacey. Lacey. (laughs) And but ever since he had his children, he has had a slight problem with uh, having fear on the job because he's afraid that he's going to get hurt on the job and then his baby girls are going to lose him. Which is a pretty valid fear, I think, especially if you live in a live, if you work a dangerous job like that. So uh, and this is also like a nice thing about Terry's character in general is like he is a rare example of like a male character on TV that shows a lot of emotion and vulnerability and is not shy about it. And he also is very masculine Mm -hmm. in other ways, but that's just kind of a unique thing about his character, which is cool.
0: Yeah. Um, I also like how he showed Holt the picture of his twin girls and Holt's response was, they have adorable chubby cheeks. Yes, just total monotone. It It is a fact.
1: It is an absolute fact. Oh yeah, then there's another cutaway that shows Terry's fear. It's like he's on a raid with Jake or something they're in an empty department store and Terry sees something and freaks out and starts shooting and then it turns out it's a mannequin and so then he went on leave for a little while and he still doesn't really go out in the field so yeah so then he introduces the rest of the squad he says first we have Scully Hitchcock and Daniels pretty much worthless but they make good coffee and I wrote Daniels yeah who the hell's Daniels (laughs) that's a random third person who never ever comes back Scully and Hitchcock do come back and they they're kind of more minor the other characters but they do increase in their screen time over the course of the seasons but yeah Daniels I was like what who's that
0: (laughs) Daniels doesn't exist anymore
1: yeah Um. I don't know if they even appear at all after the pilot anyway then uh we get Rosa Diaz Terry says is tough and smart and hard to read and scary um and for each of these more major characters they get a couple of clips kind of showing it's almost like b-roll footage of like showing them being themselves and in fact these are the clips that get used in the opening credits so we see rosa like her computer's not working and she like smacks it really aggressively and then charles boyle who terry says is not the most brilliant but he is a hard worker uh and he's not physically gifted and then we see a moment of him in the kitchen and he like drops his muffin and then like hits his head and then he like trips over something and it's just very sad on
0: his muffin yeah he's like oh my muffin my muffin my head my my muffin
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> then we get amy santiago and she has seven brothers so she's always trying to prove she's tough and then we get a little clip of her like there's someone eating some hot sauce and then they say oh that's really hot so she pours the entire thing on her sandwich and then eats it and then we get jake terry says he is the best detective that we have he loves solving puzzles but the only puzzle he hasn't solved is how to grow up and then holt is like well put <laughs> and then and Terry says, I've talked a lot about Jake in my departmentally mandated therapy sessions, <laughs> which makes sense because working with Jake, supervising Jake would require a lot of therapy. Oh my God. That'd be, I, wow. Couldn't be me. So yeah, Holt is like, you know, I'll need your assistance, you know, getting a handle on things. I want to make sure things run smoothly. And so Terry says, you should start with Jake because he is a problem. So that's kind of the goal of the episode. This now we is- can see- Sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah. Oh no. I was just gonna say that I feel like Jake being the problem is like the most white man thing ever. It's like being such a problem at work. But also then he's like, but see, the thing about the thing about sometimes at, at work is that sometimes white men will like be a problem but then not be good at their jobs. Yeah. So it's like it's like Jake is this white example of a white man that is like kind of a problem, but like, what are you yeah. going to do without him? Exactly. It's like why
1: he gets away with it. I feel like if he acted like that and was not good at his job, he would just get fired in a just world but actually yeah. in the real world, that does not always happen. No,
0: he, he'd, just, he'd just stay riding the wave and you'd be like, what is this guy doing here? Yeah, I feel like that's
1: probably what happened with like Scully and Hitchcock. They were like that when they were younger oh, yeah. and they've just been here so long. It's like, what are we going to do, fire them? So now we have kind of the goal of the episode. We have these two opposing forces. We can already tell that Jake and Holt are very contradictory in personality, but you know, so it's Holt's challenge is to get jake under control basically so then we go into the next act um we have the whole squad at this guy's apartment morgan Thau's apartment the murder victim they're investigating the scene looking for clues blah 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 jake is already being kind of a little shit he starts as soon as anyone points something out he pulls a tie out of his pocket and he's like a tie for you and a tie for you and he's making a whole joke out of it how holt told him to wear a tie earlier but he's not wearing one And then Holt appears on the scene and catches him as he's doing this. And Jake is clearly like, you know, even though he was making fun of it, he didn't expect Holt to be there. He's like, why are you here? And Holt's like, I like to see what my employees are doing. I like to oversee. I
0: like like him. He says, (laughs) Captain Holt, welcome to the murder. (laughs) Um, Yeah.
1: (laughs) And uh, so then Holt is like, please take this seriously. Oh, another little beat is like Jake's complaining about the captain and Charles is siding with him because Charles is also a good friend of Jake as you you don't totally see it in this episode but it is in the future. Um mm-hmm. but then as soon as Rosa says like I don't know, he seems okay, and then Boyle's like, "Oh yeah, actually he seems great." So you see him immediately <laughs> flipping to Rosa's side. They also mention that the criminal after murdering this guy stole a few things including a special ham. That's apparently worth $6,000 because it's a really fancy ham. And I just, I can't
0: imagine ham being worth that much. And then Boyle also talks a little bit more about the ham, which is kind of the foodie in him, which we get later too. Charles has
1: weird specific tastes in things, but especially food. He's like a Mm -hmm. really fancy taste in food guy. Also, I wrote this down. This is a, a random side note, but did you feel like Stephanie Beatriz in this episode was doing a slightly higher voice? than she normally does for Rosa? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it got deeper as yeah, the show went on. Yeah, because her actual voice is much higher than the way she normally talks as Rosa yeah. um, on the show. She does a much deeper voice than her normal. So someday, like, if you hear her in an interview and you've never heard her before, it's very jarring at first because mm-hmm. she speaks in this very low voice as Rosa. But in this episode, I noticed it wasn't actually that deep. I guess yeah, she just I think it
0: I feel like it's one of those yet. pilot sorts of yeah. things where it's, like, some... Yeah. It'll like, you know,
1: yeah, settles getting in later used to it. Yeah. And again, I don't mean that as a criticism, just as an interesting like, oh, she was just starting out with it. Then, yeah, so Holt walks in and basically, you know, is like, I am, yes, I am checking in on this murder scene. I would like to actually know what my squad is doing and direct you because that's my job as a captain. And then he tells Jake and Amy to go on door duty, which basically means go knock on all the doors in this apartment building and ask if anybody knows anything. And Jake says, that's a waste of time. We never learn anything from door duty. But you know, he has to, because it was a direct order. So, yeah. And then, so Holt, like, walks away a little bit and Jake mutters something about, you know, it, it being stupid and then Holt hears it and Jake's like, oh my God, you have super hearing.
0: And then Boyle and Rosa get sent to uh, the morgue Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They get sent somewhere together. Um, so they go out to the car and Boyle asks Rose out. He says, you know, there's this old movie festival. I know you like old movies. I got us tickets to Citizen Kane. And she says, I hate Citizen Kane. Pick a better movie. And then... like drives away and he's like okay sure I'll I'll pick a better movie than Citizen Kane which is widely regarded
0: as one of the best side side sidebar is is Citizen Kane the one that then Paddington 2 beat out on the Rotten Tomatoes filter thing I don't know but probably because that was an enjoyable moment on the internet was when Paddington 2 (laughs) got a higher rating on uh Rotten Tomatoes than Citizen Kane good nice. for Paddington
1: too. Yes. Then we see back at the station Holt goes back and he meets with Gina and he he's like you are the civilian I forget exactly what her title is but like she's like civilian administrative something something yeah, for the police officer. Which basically just means she's not a police officer but she works in their office and he's like I would love your help in like assisting and communicating with the civilians like you will be a great resource and then Gina's like I'm not going to do any work at all. And then, or like, he's like, I want you to tell me what's going on with the squad. And she's like, I'm not going to do that. And he says, okay, counter offer, you do this or else I fire you. And then she's like, okay, okay, I'll help. So Holt asks, he was hearing about this bet. And so he says, what is going on with this bet between Jake and Amy? And so Gina explains, they made this bet about who could get more arrests and Jake bet his car. He has an old Mustang that he loves and it's his pride and joy. So if he loses, he has to give up his car. But if Amy loses, she has to go on a date with Jake. And apparently Jake has promised that it's going to end in sex, which that feels like it would violate so many workplace rules. Yeah, (laughs) But I guess who's gonna, who's gonna come get them? The cops? (laughs) Help. Uh. (laughs) We need super cops to regulate the cops. That's the solution. I figured it out. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so this is the beginning of uh, Holt and Gina actually create a really great friendship in this show. That's one of my favorite dynamics on the show. So then we go back to Amy and Jake. They're on door duty. We get some quick gags of like them talking to these random residents first there's this guy clearly stoner he's like oh do you smell that somebody else smoked weed in here and then there's fred Armisen playing a vaguely foreign person unclear where he's from his name is melipnos and he spells it yeah. uh amy's like can m-l-e-p you spell clay <laughs> jake's like clay did you say clay <laughs> it is but it's one of those things that only fred Armisen can do yeah um, yeah, and then they show the picture of the guy and he's just like, oh, oh, this is for me. He just takes the picture and then closes the door. <laughs> and then they go up to the penthouse um, and there's like a Wall Street Journal. And Amy's like, the guy who lives here is definitely a hot eligible bachelor. And then they open the door and it's this like 92 year old man. So then they go back to the station and Jake is like, haha, door duty was pointless. Just like I said, I'm right, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I'm always right. Like all these things you're telling us to do are just stupid and pointless. But then Holt comes over and kind of lectures him and is like, you're still not wearing a tie. I've asked you several times to wear a tie. Um, And Jake's like, actually I am. And he lifts up his shirt and shows that he has a tie like around his midsection, like a belt, except it's on like his ribs. And just, I can't imagine having the
0: balls to do that to your boss's face. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, I know that like Jake has growth and whatnot, but my God, at like, at the start of this show, if he were my coworker, I'd be so fucking annoyed with him. Are you kidding me?
1: I remember when I started this show, I was a little unsure about it because I thought Jake might be too insufferable for me to stand, but he does get better within a few episodes, um, honestly. But I was, I remember being kind of on the fence about it at the beginning because, he is so obnoxious in this first episode. Yeah. But yeah, so Holt Holt is actually, I would say Holt is remarkably patient with him. Like he could have grounds to fire him, but he's basically says like, you're not taking my orders seriously. And then he just asks the whole room, like, does nobody, you're a room full of detectives. Does nobody understand why I care that you all dress professionally? And nobody says a word. And I'm like, are you stupid? Like, are you guys stupid? I'm like, Amy, chime in with something. You can't you can't give a little answer here but nobody knows and then holt is like keep investigating and keep me apprised and then he goes in his office and then jake is like hey boyle let's follow up on that fancy ham you know if we can find out where he got the ham then that could be a lead and boyle's like oh should we go update the captain on what we're gonna do and jake's like we can update him when we catch the guy
0: That's not how this works. Dude, is it so hard he to just follow the regulations? not follow any rules. See, this
1: is the other funny thing about the nature of this propaganda. They're all like, oh, like, good cops follow the rules and whatnot. Jake never follows the fucking regulations. And the only no. reason we think of him as a quote-unquote good cop is because he's funny and charming.
0: Exactly. In what way is
1: he actually a good cop?
0: Right. Isn't there an episode where he, like, fully had been neglecting his paperwork for, like, a year? Probably. I I, did I did I make that up if I didn't if I did sorry sorry that sounds like something he would do so then they go to this like gourmet
1: little market and they find this butcher guy that sold the ham and his name is Ratko he seems shady he refuses to they like show a pic of the murder victim like oh do you know him and he refuses to look at the picture so Jake's like I think that you robbed this guy and then killed him uh, and then he does this silly little role play with Boyle. Um, they argue about like, "Oh, you're gonna be Ratko? No, I'll be Ratko." Blah blah blah. Very again, it's just like they're being very silly in a police situation. That's the comedy. But then Ratko runs. So clearly he's guilty. He like just runs out of there. So then they have yeah. this whole little chase scene in the middle of this gourmet grocery. And there's like an old woman pushing her cart. And Jake's like, get out of here. And then they chase and they chase and they chase and then run into the old woman again. And he's like, how are you still here? And then the dude like dunks Charles's face into the, the ice cream display. It looks really gross. Mashes yeah. his face into it. Basically, the dude gets away, and then they cut back to the station, and Jake is facing down Holt, and he goes, no, I did not brief you. Yes, he did get away, but I got you hazelnut gelato.
0: (laughs) Hazelnut gelato is very good, so appreciated, but but he was wrong. Did his job super badly and ignored orders. I would have taken the gelato and then fired him. Yeah. uh,
1: Yeah, Holt again. Holt is remarkably patient. He does not fire Jake. He assigns him to records room duty as a punishment. So we see him in the records room, and he is super annoyed because he wants to be out there doing busting the bad guys. But Terry's like, "Oh man, I'm so jealous. You couldn't be any further from the action in here. This is where I want to work." So the Jake's just being immature, and he's like Terry, like. You know I'm good. Can't you just like talk to Holt and like tell him to lay off me and let let me do whatever I want? And Terry's like, no. You know maybe you should listen to him because he's actually a very very good cop. Like back in the 80s, he caught the Disco Strangler. And Jake seems a little surprised by that. Uh, and then Amy comes in and she kind of taunts Jake a little bit and she's like, if you're benched in here, you're definitely going to lose the bet. So, bye bye. And also kind of taunts him for letting the murderer go which is fair because he messed it up really bad she starts a new tally murderers Murderers we let go go. and it says jake won amy zero so then we get a brief flashback to rosa she asks spoil what movie he picked and he said i wanted to make sure it would be a movie you would like so i bought tickets to every single movie in the festival and now you can pick and uh she's like why would you do that I just wanted you to pick a movie and he says well I was nervous because you can be a little bit opinionated and then she gets she freaks out she's like I'm not opinionated like that's so not true like this is this date's canceled and so I mean it's true that Rosa is a little bit scary but also Mm -hmm. (laughs) he didn't handle it very well and then Charles looks over at Gina and she kind of makes a like a flop gesture which is fair I'm gonna be honest I never really liked this plot line of Boyle going after Rosa. It never made any sense to me. It was just sad to watch. Yeah. It wasn't funny. It was just it, sad. It, yeah. Because this yeah, lasts for like... like over a season. I think it lasts like part way into season two, honestly, of him going after Rosa and she doesn't like him. And it's just not funny. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. I don't, I, I never liked it, especially because it was like, it's like, I feel like it's even obvious to Boyle that she's never going to like him. So yeah, it's like, it's why just, is he still
1: trying? Yeah. Something about it just doesn't. It feels like they were taking kind of a stock sitcom plot and it just does not work here. And so I was very relieved when they finally abandoned it. I think both of the characters, they get better plot lines later on. Yeah. But this is one I just feel such an urge to skip all their scenes, honestly. They're not funny, I have to say. Anyway, then, okay, then we get Holtz comes to check on Jake in the records room and Jake is actually wearing a tie and he's like, you know. You were right, Captain Holt. Um, I've been looking through the records. I actually found something useful in one of the records. I found he found some connection that led him to a storage unit address where he thinks Ratko is currently storing things. And he's like, you know, it's really a testament to the efficiency of wearing a necktie. And so he stands up to Shakes Holt's hand and reveals that he is wearing no pants and he has a Speedo on uh, on (laughs) underneath. And But Holt, to his credit, Holt does not miss a beat, and he he goes, you know, this is such good work, I think we should call everybody in here to see this, and he calls everybody in, and then Jake is like, oh no, I didn't want everyone to see me in my Speedo, just my boss. Yeah, this is another and moment how where I did, would have fired Jake.
0: Uh, not just frankly. fired
1: him, but I'm like, how did he expect that prank to go off? Did he think no one else was gonna see him in his speedo? Yeah, I'm like confused. So yeah, he like Holt kind of wins that beat because Jake is a little bit embarrassed at everyone coming in and taking pictures of his speedo but yeah so then anyway they they have this address and so now they all go on a stakeout they're gonna stake out this storage unit and it's holt and jake and amy in one car and jake's still being kind of a little shit he's like according to the handbook there's no dress code on stakeouts look at me in my hoodie it's so comfortable and it's like dude i i just want to be like dude it's not that big of a deal to wear a fucking tie just shut up i think oh and then, oh, Amy's and then like, he was like he was talking for a while And Amy's like, I just try to uh, ignore him. And Holt's like, does he ever stop talking? And Amy goes, "Uh, I just think of it like a white noise machine. And and then Jake goes, that's racist. (laughs) But then Jake is like, you know what? He's like, hey, like, Captain, I read that you caught the disco strangler. Like, that's actually really cool. I wanted to say, you know, thank you for that. You know, that's that's pretty awesome. But he's like, if you're such a good cop, why did it take so long for them to give you a command? And Holt says because I'm gay. And Jake laughs, but then he (laughs) realizes that Holt is serious. It is not a joke. And then there's a little flashback to several clues throughout the episode. Rosa saying, did anyone get a gay vibe? And then there's like a newspaper article that says first gay captain um, hanging in his office in in his office. And Jake's like, wow, I'm really not a good detective. (laughs) Yeah. But then Holt kind of, oh wait, no. Then we get a brief beat of Boyle and Rosa again. She's like, here, I'll give you. I feel bad. So I'm going to give you money for those tickets, but I am not going to go with you because we're not a good match. Well, she's, she gives some very mixed signals in this moment. She's like, I don't want to go on a date with you. But then he's like, oh, and then she's like, I like your company. You're sweet. And I, I just, I don't like the writing of this because I feel like they're trying to make the joke, oh, this woman gives such mixed signals. And that's why this dude keeps pining after her. But I feel like no woman would actually do that.
0: Yeah. They didn't feel, What I read it as was her just being like, I like your company as a friend, but she didn't say the as a friend bit, Yeah, so that's not helpful.
1: It felt like the writers were trying to make it mixed when it wasn't actually mixed. Like, it's very clear she doesn't like him that way, but they had to, because they wanted to make a plot out of it, they had to make it seem mixed enough that he could continue to have hope. This I, this plot, yeah, it doesn't this work. plot for me. Is,
0: is, it feels so uh, to me it feels because so forced. it's like just making Boyle also the butt of the joke, which he is yeah. a lot of the time. But this, in this particular instance, him being the yeah. butt of the joke isn't funny. It makes both of their characters worse because it makes Rosa seem
1: weirdly it weirdly makes her seem more cruel when she gives those vaguely mixed signals, as opposed to in later seasons, she is very, very blunt and direct and clear. And she would just be like, I do not want to go out with you period. And that's kind of the Rosa we get in later seasons and Boyle again, he's kind of the joke is that he's a little bit unself-aware and he's kind of an underdog and, and will go hard after things, even, you know, if he faces rejection, but it's just sad it's just yeah. sad to watch him going so long after someone that we all know he has no chance with. Both of them their characters are better served once this plotline is yeah. over. It's like this is not the situation for perseverance. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. the Boyle. weirdly <laughs> slight spoilers if you haven't seen the show, but the the Boyle and Gina plotline that comes later even though it's weird is a million times more entertaining yeah. than this. So, yeah, I just I don't I don't care for it. And it, that felt like it might have been a case of I mean I'm not sure I love the writing of it regardless but it may have been a case of they had kind of a plot line in mind but then the the actors that they cast it just didn't quite work with those two actors. Yeah. And so they kind of had to adapt once they had that once they had their actors and f- found better things for them but yeah. So then that's the that's the end of that plot line for this episode luckily. Um so then we go back to Holt he tells Jake and Amy a bit about of his history in the police force. He came out 25 years ago, um, back in like the 80s. The NYPD was not ready for a gay officer, so he faced a lot of discrimination. But he says, as the old guard died out, they were very happy to have a gay officer and and show him around. But they used him kind of as a token. They made him a captain, but they put him in public affairs, which was not where he wanted to be. It was very, it's very much like a you know, a desk job, you know, just for appearances. And he always wanted an actual squad to command. So this is like his dream that he's had the Mm -hmm. whole time. And he's had to wait 25 years for it. And he's like, that's why I am- not going to mess this up i am not going to let this opportunity go to waste
0: yeah there's also the other undertone of this is the fact that captain holt is not just gay but also a black man yes so if he came out 25 years ago that means that he was a gay black man coming out like in that time period in new york which which on the police force too yeah on the police force so i feel like he's he is taking this as he's that's even more like diversity points for the yeah. people that were trying to prop him up that way. It's like, oh my God, look at us! We're so progressive because we've yeah. got this black guy who's also gay. Yeah. This guy and, that we probably
1: harassed and made his life hell for years and years and years. But now the tides have turned. Look at we have this black gay officer.
0: <laughs> yeah, and so I think, the, and so I think that a lot of Holt wanting to do really well with his new assignment is not also also is like partially yeah because he is gay but also because he's black because I think that he's thinking a lot of people would set you up in this situation and want to see you fail so he's like I'm not gonna do that yes because he's like he's good at his job and he wants his precinct to be good at their jobs too and like he everything that they do reflects back on him yeah
1: exactly because yeah if he fails you know that's the pressure of being you know the first of any category, any identity to do something. Is if you fail, then people can point at it and be like, oh, people, you know, black people, gay people are just not good at being captains. I guess so. With This one example yeah. mm-hmm. proves it. So it is a it's an incredibly high pressure situation. And I would argue a sensible person shouldn't need to hear that history in order to not be an asshole and just do and a Jake. good job. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, you shouldn't actually need this moving story about why he needs to do well in order to just respect your boss.
0: But also but, I would, I feel like that this, though, is a good example of a white man being a white man in no, this it is situation. True. So I feel like It is a good like example of how people behave.
1: And honestly a lot of white men they would hear that story and then they would come up with some weird defense of like, oh well like blah 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 that shouldn't that shouldn't have to treat you any differently and blah 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 it like they would find a way to be defensive about it still. So to Jakes credit, he does apologize and he like I'm sorry I've really been such an asshole. I'm gonna yeah. be better now. But then then they see Ratko and he's like going to the storage unit. So they're like, oh, I gotta go catch the bad guy. And then there's this whole little montage of them. Like, you know, they go and like down the different lanes of the little storage unit place. Um, there is a funny little beat because there's someone cleaning, <laughs> there's like a maintenance person who's cleaning, and they're kind of in the way. And Amy is like, get out of the she signals, like, get out of the way. We have guns. She's like, I'm cleaning. And then Amy points to her badge that says NYPD, and then the maintenance worker points to her vest that says maintenance. <laughs> and Amy's like, Are you kidding me? I was like, so Points to that maintenance worker. They get it. Yeah. Oh, that um, was amazing. Yeah. So then basically they surround the dude, they surround Ratko, and then Jake makes a joke about door duty. It comes back because there's like all the storage doors. So they catch the dude, the whole squad is around him. And then as they like have the guns on him and everything, Jake's like, oh my God, I get it. Captain, I get why you want us all to wear ties. It's because it's a uniform and we're a team. And so if we all wear ties, we know we're on the team. And Holt's like, okay, I'm glad you finally got that obvious thing, but please just arrest this guy.
0: <laughs> like, we're in the middle of
1: work. They arrest him. Boyle and Rosa come in from the other direction and get him. And they're like, that's how we do it in the 9-9. Nine nine. Catch bad guys and look good doing it. And Jake is like making a weird face. And Holt's like, what's wrong with you? And Jake says, never took off the Speedo. Big mistake. And that's the end of the episode. So I guess now we can talk about like, pros and cons from this I would say structurally it's a pretty effective pilot I think Mm -hmm. it's really good at establishing the tone and the topic like it's gonna be with police it is gonna I mean it's gonna have sort of a case of the week like you're gonna see them doing police work but it's not a procedural vibe it's not about like oh isn't this mystery so interesting it's about humor finding humor in it yeah. They really establish the characters pretty well. I mean, we don't get that much of the the other characters, but we get at least a little quirk of all of them. I think it's smart that they started off with, you know, the new captain is a good way to frame it. That's why the series is starting now. And having that very clear clash between Jake and Holt right off the bat is interesting. There's something at stake. But yeah, then some things that were less good are the Boyle and Rosa thing. It's just-
0: <laughs> Yeah, get rid of it. Throw it away. Doesn't really work. I like forgot about it, frankly. And then I was watching this again and I was like, oh. Yeah,
1: every time I block it out. Not that I rewatch this show that much, but when I do rewatch, I usually pick up around season three or so because I'm like, I just don't want to watch the Foil and Rosa stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think the things that are less good are that. And as I said, like, I remember the first time I watched this, I was iffy about Jake. I was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to like this show because the main character does seem really obnoxious, but he Mm -hmm. gets better. He gets good enough, quick enough that he's a lot more tolerable.
0: I I feel like as someone that has watched through much of this and has like I, I guess I can't say that I've met an actual Jake Peralta type <laughs> in real life, yeah. but I've like met like, you know, so, some white men in the workplace act this way, and I automatically avoid them. So I feel like I was watching more so for the other characters. But it's that thing of I feel like it's sometimes difficult to watch a show where you don't enjoy the main character. Yeah. And I'm not saying I don't enjoy Jake, but I enjoy the other characters I guess a bit more than I enjoy him yeah and like he does have his growth and that's good too yeah and it um, becomes
1: more of a real ensemble show as it goes yeah. on like for a pilot you kind of need to pick out a one main character for the sake of a pilot
0: mm-hmm. it's very
1: difficult to make even if your show is going to be an ensemble show it's very difficult to write a good pilot without a clear protagonist so you you do that for the sake of the pilot but then it can develop into I would say all of the other characters get pretty much equally as much focus and fleshing out as Jake does later on.
0: I also really, my favorite thing that this sets up in this episode is the bet between Jake and Mm -hmm. Amy, which is I think just one of my favorite plot lines in general. I like their setup. I'm I'm always paying attention to like the different, there are a lot of really interesting interpersonal relationships on this show. And I think one of the things that it does well generally is just having those little moments between people. And I think it did a good job of setting up like this bit of animosity between Jake and Amy but mm-hmm. it's also I think at the same time like they work together and they know that they're both good at their jobs yeah. so even though they approach it very differently yeah. so I kind of like that you have them clashing a little bit right to begin with and we're gonna see them grow from there yeah. which I enjoy
1: and it is a good that's another good bit of structure uh, because the bet is not super relevant to this first episode but it mm-hmm. is a really really good thing to plant in episode one because it gives some structure throughout season one although season one it was originally ordered to be 13 episodes and so episode 13 is called the bet and it is it has some sort of season finale vibes because it wraps up this bet that they've been doing all season but then they did extend the season order to 22 because it was doing well so There is another eight episodes after that, but that was, you know, the originally planned finale. A lot of shows, I didn't really notice this when I was younger, you know, before I started really thinking about TV, but a lot of shows you'll notice they have a sort of mid-season finale because they had a limited episode order at first and then they got extended. So it's usually around episode 13. If you notice that episode 13 feels like a finale, that's probably why. And then they go on a little bit of a break until for like a couple of weeks. Some other notable things about this show, again, like, think putting this all in critical context with all the stuff we've already said about propaganda. want to keep that on the table, but some things that this show has been praised for, which are good things, but also maybe insidious things in light of the, in, in combination with the propaganda. but it is a relatively diverse cast for a network sitcom, but also one of the notable things about it is, like, it's not like a, a lot of shows, I feel like they do this thing of like one token person of like each race or whatever. Yeah. This show has two black men and two uh, Latina women in the main cast. And mm-hmm. that's like, I feel like in a lot of shows, it's like limited to one of each. You know what I mean? I hate yeah, to say I that. Think but that, like
0: I think I read something where um, Melissa Fumero and Stephanie Beatrice, they both didn't, they didn't think they were both going to get to be on the show yeah and then when they found out that they both booked booked it they were like so excited because that's you that's like so not a thing
1: yeah one of the two characters I forget which one I forget which one but I think one of their two characters was written as a Latina woman I forget which one it was and they both auditioned for that role but then one of them they were like oh you would actually be good for this other role and like we didn't specifically write it that way but you are the best person for this role so you're yeah. going to use you which is that's that's why it's nice because because it's less manufactured it's just natural which is nice and it also does have two queer characters in the main cast slight spoilers but like if you care about this you probably already know that Rosa comes out as bi in I think season 5 and that was inspired by Stephanie Beatriz was coming out she came out in real life and she suggested to the writers this could be a cool storyline for Rosa and they let her have some input in it and specifically I forget if she like actually contributed to the writing or if she just talked to them about it but like she had some words about her experience and got to have some influence on that plot line and it was really wonderful and obviously Holt is gay and he's there the whole time and you get to meet his husband later on and it's wonderful and cheddar and so That is really great, too. And they actually have won a GLAAD award um, for Outstanding Comedy Series, because that's important. It's nice to have representation. But like I said, keeping in mind, it's good to have representation on TV, but also keeping in mind, thinking critically about the context, because this, it gives us these warm, fuzzy, liberal vibes about the police. Yeah. And that is not necessarily indicative of reality. So
0: yeah, I also think I can't remember... I don't super remember if this is something that like Holt actually said or if I just made it up in my brain. (laughs) But I feel like sometimes the way that Holt and Terry kind of go about the police force is that they can like try and find a way to change it from the inside. Like they're like, you know, that whole thing of, you know, like being a black person and being unnecessarily targeted by the police. There's like an episode about it, right? Where Terry
1: gets another officer, pulls a gun on him when he's like literally on his own street. Yeah, he's like right in front of his house. And then Um... there's like a conversation between Terry and Holt. And I think Terry like almost quits the force or he's like, he's more frustrated about it. And Holt's like telling him not to do so. I forget exactly what action he wanted to take, but Holt was like telling him not to and basically saying like, just stay in the force and we'll improve it slowly from
0: the inside yeah that's not that's not gonna work don't people that's no that doesn't exist so Um, yeah just
1: the the notion of like that episode being aired and I know a lot of white people watching it are probably like wow this show took on racial discrimination in the police like good for them they saw hating that episode actually (laughs) and so and like people again white people love to trot that out when they defend brooklyn 99 hey they did an episode about that they covered that base and it's like you can't one episode does not solve that problem because first of all that's not real life nothing (laughs) has changed in real life second of all it's just making you feel complacent about it because you're like oh my god good for them they talked about it like yes it is good to talk about it but you can't you shouldn't give it more praise than it deserves because mm-hmm. it's not actually doing that much yeah so yeah i guess the moral of the story is think critically about the media you consume and
0: maybe fewer cop shows in yeah, 2021 I actually love that i think <laughs> that didn't paw patrol get canceled is Paw Patrol about cops? <laughs> I've never seen Paw Patrol that. Is, about, is literally are about dogs. That are, pol- dogs like, that are a cops? dog police force. And I'm <laughs> pretty sure that. it got canceled in 2020. Oh, I didn't know they had cop shows for kids. Wait, please let me Google this. <laughs> I, I don't want to be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Paw Patrol got canceled.
1: When everyone was like so sad about Brooklyn Nine-Nine saying this was going to be the last season, I was like, okay, first of all, eight seasons, like most sitcoms are not really good longer than that anyway. But second of all- in this time and in this era, we don't need more Brooklyn 99.
0: Okay. So, um it looks like Paw Patrol has not been canceled, but in <laughs> but my it brain I, re- I it's it's literally about the series focuses on a young boy named Ryder who leads a search crew of search and rescue dogs that call themselves the Paw Patrol. Yeah, search and it's a dog. Each dog has a specific set of skills based on emergency service professions, such as fi- a firefighter, a police officer, and an aviation pilot. So okay, there is so some one of the dogs presence. is a cop. <laughs> there is some police presence in Paw Patrol, but it's not oh been canceled. God. I was wrong. Ignore me. Just just get rid of the police dog.
1: So yeah, that is that is another that that is another thing. And like you said, it's just like do do they have to be cops? Like. You know, all the good qualities about these characters, and I think the reasons that people like the characters, have nothing to do with the fact that they're police.
0: Yeah, I think that you could have put them in any workplace situation, and I still would have enjoyed the show. But I feel like it's the thing of, it just felt slightly deliberate yeah. because of the way that this show came about, that you wanted to put them in a police force well I mean yeah they like I guess it sounds like their idea
1: was just this hasn't been done for a long time and I don't know like maybe there's a
0: good reason for that (laughs) yeah I don't I don't honestly I like shouldn't be funny yeah I don't think that we should see any more funny cops frankly yeah I I I agree I
1: think we should be wary of hero cops in general but also funny cops because even if we presume that even in a world where you imagine cops are truly the good guys enforcing the forces of good, it's still like this dude's being, people are being murdered and you're like joking and stuff or while you hold someone at gunpoint. Like, that's not funny.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's not
1: sitcom funny. The tone of it is like off, especially yeah. now. I will say I just my my real MVP of this episode was the maintenance worker who is like I do not respect your badge I'm doing my
0: more important work right here obsessed I'm making sure this place is clean we should all have
1: the we should all have the energy of that maintenance worker in 2021
0: thanks for listening we want to hear from you now if you have any thoughts about the Brooklyn 9 pilot you'd like to share with us or suggestions for shows we should watch, you can email us at itsinmycubepod at gmail.com. And in case you want to
1: prepare for the next episode discussion with us, the next pilot we will be watching is Living Single. So go ahead and watch or rewatch that episode so you'll be ready for our thoughts on it next time.
0: And if you liked what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends to listen. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod or on our personal Twitters.
1: I am at Adina Terrific.
0: And I'm at Kara underscore Powell. Thanks for listening and we hope we've helped you clear out your queue.